I need to first apologize for Patrick since I discovered this morning that I'm responsible for him. Um, I also, if you're a first-time visitor here, you need to hear this. Um, this is, I, I'm leaving this afternoon, so whatever happens during this sermon time, don't hold it against this church. I, uh, in fact, uh, you need to hear this. I, I, I met one fellow back here for the second time. I met him the first time on my last Sunday before I moved away. And he was so encouraged by my moving that he decided to stick with this congregation. And it has worked out well for him. And so if you're a first-time visitor, you might want to consider that strategy. I'm leaving at 1.48 this afternoon, flying out of the state. Um, yeah, um, I, I joke about Patrick, but... I hope everybody understands I do that because uh, I have such a good relationship with him. And uh, it's relationships like I had with Patrick and so many others here that just makes it so wonderful for me to be back here today. A couple of months ago, uh, I noted with the congregation in Muskogee uh, that I had been with them for three years and six months. And I pointed out to them, Jordan, that Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, represents in Scripture a time of tribulation. <laughs> it's always great to make a comment to the congregation that gets several hearty amens. <laughs> and that was a couple of months ago. That means that it was almost exactly three years and eight months ago that I had my last Sunday here before we moved to Oklahoma. And that's too long to be away from you. <laughs> and uh, so I'm tempted this morning just to stand up here and reminisce as I look at all these um, wonderful, beautiful faces, at all the relationships uh, that we've had, uh, some stretching about decades. <laughs> uh, but if I start doing that, I will run out of time because... Um, Number one, we do have kind of a tight schedule uh, with our flight this afternoon. And then second, I need to leave time for our guest speaker. <laughs> no, because, I mean, right, I'm not a guest speaker. I'm a guest to some of you, but to most of you, I'm family, right? I, I hope you still feel that way about me. Uh, so I have invited a guest speaker. I'll, I'll say more about that later. Uh, but let's get down to business. Um, for the past three weeks, uh, you've had before you this story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus told the story in response to a question. A question asked him by a legal expert who was trying to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? Jesus had just pointed out to him um, that, and the legal ex expert had admitted that a core command from God, a core requirement, expectation that he has for us is that we love our neighbor as ourself. And who is my neighbor? The legal expert asked. And so Jesus told this story, but because it was a misguided question, Jesus told, answered a different question with the story. He didn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? He answered the question, how can I be a neighbor to someone else? Well, Patrick and Jordan have done a wonderful job presenting that to you the past three weeks. And so t 
Today, I want to tell a different story, but a similar story. Uh, This is not a story that Jesus told. It's a story that Jesus is in. And it's similar because in both stories, we can see the, the wide gulf between Jesus' approach to being neighborly and that of the religious leaders of his time. And so I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 13 through 17, this short little story. Mark 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house... Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, the question that drives the conflict in this story is to whom is it appropriate for me to show neighborly love? Who deserves to be treated as a neighbor by me? At the beginning of the series, Patrick told you that during the time of Jesus, many of the Jews limited the term neighbor to their own fellow countrymen. If you're not a fellow Jew, then you don't deserve to be called my neighbor. But in this story, we see that the teachers of the law who were Pharisees were even more selective. Even among their own fellow Jews, they looked down with disdain at tax collectors and sinners and didn't consider them worthy of their association. I suspect that they would have shamelessly said, they are not my neighbor. Well, the Pharisees among us today would never dare say that. But they would point out that the kind of love that is appropriate to show to these kind of people is far different than uh, the the kind of love that we usually think about. In fact, this kind of love uh, may not seem much like love at all and certainly not be very neighborly. But it's the kind of love they need for their own good, you see. Tough love. And to further explain that point of view, uh, I have invited our guest speaker for this morning. We have today uh, someone to uh, speak to you who is well qualified to speak to a religious group of people such as this, because he himself is very religious. In fact, 
he is a religious scholar, a religious lawyer, or as the NIV had it in the story we read, a teacher of the law. He's also a Pharisee. And you may not identify with that. After all, the Pharisees were shown in kind of a bad light in the New Testament. But please listen carefully to his story and to his concerns and see if what he says maybe doesn't resonate with you. So one moment and we'll have our guest speaker with us. Hello. I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. If you will permit me, I would like to begin by telling you more about me, about my background, so that you will better understand my response to what happened. As you have been told, I am a scribe, a religious lawyer an expert in the law of Moses, and a teacher of God's law. I have devoted myself to understanding in detail what God's law requires and to teaching others how to follow his commands faithfully. I'm also a Pharisee. Now, I know that has become a pejorative term for you. Well, I hope I will not offend you, but actually, you people have much in common with the Pharisees. We Pharisees took seriously the commands found in Scripture. We were a lay movement, and by that I mean that we were not priests, we were not temple officials, we were simply common people who aspired to observe God's law faithfully. And so you see that we were the the back-to-the-Bible movement of our time. And that is why I say to you that you people have much in common with the Pharisees. And so I think that you will be able to understand what upset me in this matter. The incident began when Jesus called the tax collector, Levi, to be his disciple. We were already aware that there was a problem because many tax collectors had become his followers. It seems strange to me that I must explain to you why That was a problem. I know you think it only natural that he would call such people to be his disciples, but please try to understand things from our perspective. We Pharisees in general, and particularly we we scribes, had devoted ourselves to promoting righteous living 
and discouraging sinful living. We were trying to promote a more careful adherence to God's law. God's people had become far too lax about keeping his commands. Do you ever see that problem today? And so we were trying to make things better by promoting righteousness. Now, let me tell you about Levi and his colleagues. Levi manned a customs booth on the road that runs along the north shore of Lake Galilee, just outside of Capernaum. His post was situated on the border between two tetrarchies. You see, when Herod the Great died, the Romans divided Palestine into smaller regions under the control of Herod's sons. Capernaum lay on the border between the regions controlled by Antipas and by Philip. As travelers crossed over from Philip's territory into that of Antipas, Levi would collect a customs tax on behalf of Antipas on goods transported into his territory. The system was inherently corrupt. Typically, collectors such as Levi would charge whatever they thought they could get away with, send the agreed-upon amount to Antipas, and keep the excess as their profit. You can see how such a system was ripe for abuse and why people resented them so much. Think of it this way. You know the common sentiment in this country toward IRS agents. Now imagine how people would feel about them if the IRS were well known for corruption and if its officers ultimately were under the control of some foreign power. How would you feel about a corrupt IRS agent who really worked for Vladimir Putin? that gives you a taste of how we felt about these tax collectors such as Levi. Tax collectors were simply an easily identifiable instance of a larger class of people who lived in flagrant disregard for God's law. Sinners. You have them here today. Drug addicts, prostitutes, people who have been in and out of prison for various crimes and sexual deviance. So Jesus was accepting these tax collectors and sinners as his disciples. Please don't get me wrong. We were all for repentance and restoration, but with Jesus, as far as we could tell, there was no probationary period. There was no requirement to first clean up your life before you became his follower. Simply an open-armed invitation to such people. That alone was disturbing enough and then came the meal at Levi's house. If it had simply been a matter of these 
tax collectors and sinners joining the large crowds that followed Jesus, that may have been tolerable. Not ideal. It would have been much better if Jesus had taken a stronger, clearer stand against their sinful lifestyles. You know, the way some of you do on Facebook. Kudos to you for calling out sinners and publicly shaming them. We need more of that. Jesus claimed to be against sin, but he certainly didn't give it much emphasis. We scribes and Pharisees were doing our best to let people know what was wrong with society. But Jesus seemed to direct as much criticism at us as he did towards sinners. But it was stunts like that meal at Levi's house that really undermined our efforts to promote righteousness. Imagine Jesus eating a festive meal with tax collectors and known sinners in the house of a tax collector. What kind of message does that send? I'll tell you. It lets everyone know that Jesus is not as anti-sin as he claimed. If you're willing to be his follower, it doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived. I'm confident that you can see the problem with that, even from the perspective of your own culture, but you need to know how our culture was different. Eating with someone implied acceptance. It indicated there was a bond between the fellow diners. I know that you eat so often in public places that you are sometimes unaware who all is dining in your company, but we were very particular with whom we ate because one, of the exacting food regulations in the law of Moses, and two, because eating with someone implied fellowship with them. And here was Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, and not in some public place, but in one of their homes. I seriously doubt that the food regulations were followed carefully there. But the bigger issue is that by eating with them, Jesus was proclaiming to the world that he accepted such people. Here was a man that people were calling rabbi, and he pulls a stunt like that. We had been watching Jesus closely because much of what he said and did disturbed us. A couple of us were across the street from Levi's house watching that whole shameful spectacle. When some of his disciples stepped outside for a moment, we confronted them. We got right to the point. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We knew they wouldn't have a good answer for that, but we were bound to expose the reckless, damaging practices of this Jesus. Well, evidently, Jesus was within hearing range within the house because he stepped out and answered our question himself. He said... It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see how skilled he was at putting a spin on things. I admit that we were completely taken off guard by his reply. We were prepared for an exchange with his disciples, all of them rather dull fellows. Jesus was a much more formidable opponent. I confess that at first what he said made some sense to me. First of all, I liked it that he called those with him sinners. It was good to hear him acknowledge that. And initially, it did make some sense that if he were going to help these people, he would have to spend time around them. But later, when I got away and had time to think about it, I saw the flaw in his reasoning, and I hope that you can too. You don't help sinners by becoming their close pal. You help sinners by taking a hard stand against sin, as we were doing. Jesus was not helping the cause, but hurting it with this soft, inclusive approach to sinners. Listen, I, I've had the opportunity to speak in other churches, and I know that you often are confronted with these issues. Sentimental types will argue that the way to reach sinners is to be welcoming and accepting. But surely you will agree with me that we must never blur the line between righteousness and sin. Everyone is much better off when we make clear the boundaries. For example, I was at one church when they were debating whether to host a wedding shower for a couple who had been living together in sin. They had belatedly decided to make their arrangement legal. Some in the church argued that this shower would be a good way to reach out to this couple. Fortunately, saner heads prevailed. Others pointed out that were the church to host this shower, they would be sending all together the wrong message to the community, to that couple, and to all the members of the church. Everyone needed to be absolutely clear where the church stood on this matter. Now, if you can understand those issues, then you can understand why we were so troubled about Jesus and his actions. I know that many of you are deeply distressed over the breakdown of morals in your society. The only way to turn that around and to help the sick sinners that Jesus spoke about is to take a hard, unyielding stance against sin. Don't reward people for living sinful lifestyles. Make them earn your acceptance by demonstrating true repentance through uh, an established track record of righteous living. Don't make the mistake that Jesus made. You see where that got him. He did a lot of damage with his soft, inclusive approach to sinners.
He seriously undermined the high standards we were trying hard to advance. Well, thank you for letting me tell my side of the story. And may God support and strengthen you in your own stand against sin. Nothing is more important than that. I hope this morning wasn't too confusing for you. (laughs) I hope you understood that I don't at all agree with everything our scribe told us. (laughs) But what makes this so confusing is that many of the things he said sound a lot like some of the things I heard in the churches where I grew up. And maybe you also have heard this kind of talk yourself. This morning I've tried to paint a stark contrast between the differing approaches of the Pharisees on the one hand and Jesus on the other hand. And we as a church and as individual Christians must decide which approach we will take. Will we make it our primary mission to condemn sin and to expose sinners or will we make it our primary mission to love our neighbor, and to invite people into the kingdom of God? Will we, will we draw clear the boundaries and carefully define who is out and who is in and expect people to earn our acceptance, as our scribes suggested? Or will we freely and recklessly show neighbor love to others and welcome with open arm any who are willing to follow Jesus. Two weeks ago, after Jordan's sermon, Dale came up and challenged you to show neighbor love to everyone, not just those who are like us. When we think about the story of the Good Samaritan, Isn't it the point that neighbor love knows no boundaries? At any rate, that's what Jesus demonstrated for us. He left his neighborhood, came down here to the slums, so that he could be a friend of sinners like us. And now, having received neighbor love from Jesus... While we were still sinners, as scripture reminds us, won't you please go and do likewise? Won't you join Jesus in his mission of love? Please, please won't you be my neighbor? (laughs) It's been great. I've enjoyed my time, and I think Greg's coming up now. Thank you.